We're going to read in the Gospel of John, chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, it's just one verse, so I'll, I'll read it to you. John, chapter 3, and verse 36. John 3 and 36, and it says, He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now these are the words of the Lord Jesus. He is speaking here, and we'll just read them again. He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. And he that believes not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The gospel simply means, as a word, gospel. We put it as a label over things. You hear of gospel music, gospel choirs. In fact, the building is called the Gospel Hall. What does the word gospel mean? The word gospel means good news and Good, as we have explained in nights in the past, good doesn't mean good anymore. Today, if you go to a a restaurant and you say the food was good, you might mean it was three out of five stars, maybe four out of five. But the gospel is a five out of five message. It can't get better than the gospel. It means great news. And what we've been trying to look at during these weeks is what's so good about it? What's so good about this good news? We noticed the first week, it's good because it's true. If it wasn't a true message, if it was just something that made us feel good, if it was was just something that gave us a little bit of a religious buzz, brought us into a a nice group of people that we could kind of socialize with and have little sessions with, if that's all it was, it's not really worth our time. It must, first of all, be true. And I gave you the illustration of spam mail and how you should delete that and the same thing you should do if it's not true. The second thing we notice is not just that the message is an honest message, but also that it is a message that transforms lives. There's a reality to this message. People are not the same when they truly, when they truly accept the gospel. Now, there are many people who claim to be Christians, but when people truly accept the gospel, they are never the same. Their life is transformed. This week, I want to look at the simplicity of the message, not just its honesty and its reality, But now it's simplicity. It is a very simple message. And it's not, some people have asked, are you doing a, is there something simple I'm supposed to learn every night? No, not not really. What I'm doing is I'm looking at the verses in the Bible that in just one verse, or or maybe two, the whole gospel message is contained. And so we've looked at Matthew 11, 28, come unto me. Okay? We looked um, in the evening at 1 Peter 3, 18. Christ has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Last night, we looked at Hebrews 9 and 27. It's appointed. We have an appointment to die. All of us, all of us have an appointment to die. And after this, the judgment. But Christ has died. He has suffered. And so verses like that, that just probably some of you have learned them in Sunday school. You've memorized them. And here's another one just like that. He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life. And he that does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now, I want you to notice four things in this verse, and I'm just going to give them to you just so you can help uh, follow along. Number one, the verse is divided. That's number one. The verse is divided. 
Number two, there is wrath that is deserved. Number three, there is wrath that is displaced. And number four, there is a call to depend. A verse that is divided, a wrath that is deserved, a wrath that is displaced, and a call to depend. Now let's see if we can do it in 15 minutes. (laughs) A verse that is divided. You will notice if you look at the verse, he that believeth on the Son has everlasting life, and he that does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And so in this verse, the Lord Jesus is saying that in this world, as far as people who can understand, people who can hear the message and understand what we're saying, as far as the rational people are concerned, there are only two kinds of people. Only two kinds of people in this room. There are those who have believed the Son, and as a result, they have everlasting life. And there are those who have not believed the Son, And as a result, they do not have life, and instead, the wrath of God is upon them. There is only two kinds of people. Now, it is the most divided issue, actually, the issue of Jesus Christ. We live in a very divided world, a world filled with division. And there's a lot of polarizing issues. I'll just give you some. Now, don't let your blood pressure go up too high, but I'm just going to name some, okay? Gun reform. Not sure what you think around here about that. And there are people who are pro-guns. And there are people who are take all the guns away. Gun reform. That's a divisive issue. I remember when we first moved to Michigan, we moved from Missouri. I told you the story um, a couple of, a week ago now. And when I was in fourth grade, I walked into my fourth grade classroom, and a young man came and sat by me, and he asked me this. Hey, so you're the new kid. I said, yeah, yeah. Are you green and white or maize and blue? Neither. (laughs) I mean, I don't think I'm any of those colors. I thought to myself, what? I was like, I don't understand. He's like, are you Michigan or Michigan State? And I didn't know any better. I just said, Michigan. Good. (laughs) That's good. And what I learned right then is that this state is cut in half. And, you know, when Johnny and I go up to doors, we see sometimes a sign, house divided, where people haven't made up their mind in the house. And there's two strands. And you're either maize and blue or you're green and white. You're either for, but but, you know, when it comes to a lot of these issues, the same thing, are you Democrat or Republican? Are you pro-vaccine or against vaccine? Well, you know, when you come to all these issues, what you will find is that there is this nice middle ground where a lot of people just comfortably sit. And so you ask them, are you for Trump or against Trump? And you'll talk to people and they'll say, well, you know, that guy, he has some good ideas, and he's a good businessman, and he's helped our economy, but I don't like some of the things he... And so they're, they're not all the way for him, and they're not all the way against him. They found this nice little middle patch where they stand comfortably. Vaccines. They're, they're not, go everybody, get as many vaccines as you can, and they're not, never get a vaccine for your child. They're in this nice, careful middle ground, very cautious where they stand. The same thing with guns. It's not take all the guns away, and it's not keep all the guns. There's this nice ground where people stand where it says, okay, we need a little bit more rules, and there needs to be an age requirement, and there needs to be maybe certain guns that shouldn't be here. And this middle ground is where everybody stands. 
And even, believe it or not, maize and blue or green and white, there are people and they say, well, I actually cheer for both teams except for one Saturday in the year. And there's a nice middle ground where everybody stands. Do you know what you notice in this verse? No middle ground. There's no middle ground to stand on. There are those who have believed the Son, and there are those who have not. There is no ground that says, I think Jesus is a great person, I think he's a wonderful teacher, and I'm standing here. No, you have to either say, I have believed on him, or I have not, I have rejected him. There's no middle ground. It is the most polarizing issue, the issue of Christ. In fact, he himself said, I did not come to bring middle ground. I, began, I came to bring a sword. I came to divide between those who would take their stand with me and those who would reject me. And so the gospel is the most divisive issue. People who are for Christ or against him. And so the verse is divided. I just want to ask you, we're a little smaller tonight, I just want to ask you, everyone here in this meeting, in which part of the verse are you? Would you find yourself in this part? He that, he or she, the person that believes on the Son. If you say yes, then I'll tell you a few things about you. There was a moment when you did believe on him. No one is born automatically believing on Christ. No one is born because they had Anglican parents or Catholic parents or religious people or got baptized. No one is no one has automatically come into this state where they are believing on Christ. There is a moment in their life where they take their stand with Christ. How do they do it? By faith. They believe on Christ. And so if you are in that part of the verse, there was a moment in your life where you took that stand. If you have never had a moment like that, I'm not asking you if you've remembered it. I'm just saying if you've never had a moment like that, then my friend, you are in the second part of this verse. You are somebody who has not believed the Son. You've not believed Jesus. And the verse says that that person is in a very dangerous position. They shall not see life. And then it adds this. You notice in the verse, he that believes on the Son, life. He that does not believe the Son, no life. And then it adds this. But the wrath of God remains on them, abides on them. There is something about these people in the second part of the verse, there's something about them that deserves God's wrath. And there is something about the people in the first part of the verse that are free from God's wrath. Now you say, you tell us all, you see, in this one gospel meeting, you can go from the second part to the first part. You don't have to walk up here. You don't have to raise your hand. In the seat you sit, by faith, you can move from the second part to the first part. Oh, there's no going back. (laughs) You'll never go back. You'll never want to. Why is it that wrath is deserved? It says, the person who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on them. Why is this wrath deserved? 
The Bible describes us in our natural condition as sinful. We have commented in the past that many people today like to look at their ancestry and trace it back. Well, if you and I were to trace our ancestry back all the way, although I was born in a country thousands of miles away from most of you, we would find ourselves to one couple, Adam and Eve. And the Bible says that as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin So death has passed upon all men, for all have sinned. You see, the one thing about sin is it's not just a little mistake. It's not just a little thing that people uh, frown at or people think is a little strange. Sin is something that angers God. God is angry with sin. You know, the Bible says that there was an angel with God, Lucifer. And in one sin... He was cast far out of heaven. The Bible says there was a couple that God enjoyed having fellowship with and and walking with. And in one sin, they were thrown out of the garden. And the writer, as it comes in the New Testament, says this. If God did not spare the angels that sin, but deliver them up to destruction. How about us? Who Most of us, I think everyone in this room would say it's not just one sin. We have sinned many, many times. And make, let me just make it clear. I have sinned many times. And if my sins began to be written on this wall right here, as the day came when God by his finger wrote something to a king in the book of Daniel, if my sins began to be written here, I would be most embarrassed. I would never want to come back. God knows all my sins. And my sins, my crimes, they are crimes against God's law. He has a law. Just like the state of Michigan has a law. And when we break his law, we are criminals against heaven. The sin may not seem as bad to us. But before God, it is a crime. It is a broken law. And according to the Bible, it deserves God's wrath. It deserves his judgment. It deserves his punishment. God must punish sin. Why? Because of who he is. And because of what sin is. They can never mix. It's like oil and water. God must punish sin. And so people in the second part of the verse. They're just normal people. They're natural people. They're people like you and people like me. And they have sinned. And so they are deserving. Of God's wrath. They deserve God to punish them. I wonder, have you ever thought and removed yourself from the people around you and your neighbors and friends and coworkers? And have you ever thought just you before God and what you deserve from God? You know, there's a lot of people who think I deserve health, health from God. There's this new idea that I deserve wealth from God and prosperity. According to the Bible, we deserve God's wrath. The Bible says the wages, the wages of sin is death. And so the wrath is deserved because of our sin. But then there are people, the same people, okay, he and he, the same group of people. There's nothing special about the people. It doesn't say the rich don't have um, have everlasting life or the religious have everlasting life. It doesn't say the... Educated have everlasting life. 
It says the same group of people, but they believe on the Son. And there's something about believing on the Son, and there's no wrath anymore. Wrath is gone. You say, what? I have never thought of that. What is it that's so special about the people? Oh, you say, well, there's nothing special about the people. Same group of people. You know what you learn? There's something special about the Son. That's the whole point of the gospel. There's something special about the Son. And what the Son did is he displaced God's wrath. Listen now. This is why Christ came into the world. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. There is one God. There is one go-between between God and man. The man Christ Jesus who came into the world to give himself a ransom for all. God sent his son into the world to save sinners. God sent his son into the world to take the wrath that you and I deserved. And so this is why there was a cross. Some people wear a cross around their neck. Some people have a cross on the building. Some people have a cross on a poster. And many people know that the cross is a symbol of Christianity. Let me ask you, why a cross? What's so special about the cross? I remember I was uh, sitting um, in a hospital room with a patient, and she was going through a very severe psychosis. And um, she had been given some prayer when she was younger, and she began to ramble it. And she said, Thank you, Father of all heaven and earth, for your Son, Jesus Christ, and the precious blood that was shed on Calvary. Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for your Son, Jesus Christ, and the precious blood that was shed on Calvary. And she just began to ramble it over and over. Well, the doctor came in, and he was a doctor from a different country, and he came in, and he just looked at her, smiled, and then he asked me, what's a Calvary? What's a Calvary? That's a good question. What's a Calvary? Calvary was the place, Golgotha, where they took God's son, Jesus Christ, And men drove nails into his hands and into his feet. And after they had done their worst to him, they had spit on him. They had crowned him with thorns. The Bible says this. God placed his wrath for our sin on him. They used to use this illustration. Here we we were. Here was God's wrath on us. And on the cross, the Lord Jesus willingly stood there. And he told God to place that wrath on him. And because the wrath fell on him, because he extinguished it and finished it, there is no wrath on us if we believe on the Son. You'll notice it doesn't just say... Because Jesus died, everyone's going to heaven. That's what some people think. Jesus died, so we're all going to heaven. No. You know, there's a very cruel law that um, is, is just now being um, done away with in the country where I, where I was born. But it's this idea of a child bride. Where these little girls, young girls, probably no younger than, or no older than 12 years old, have no choice. And they are taken from their parents' homes because of a rich man in the, in the village. And they are forced, at 12 years old and younger, to be married to this man. And they're called child brides. They have no choice. And everyone in this country 
looks at that and says, that's barbaric. That's wicked. Everybody knows that a girl should have a choice to whom she is going to marry. You know, God is not a barbaric God. And God gives every man a choice. We all deserve God's wrath because of sin. God has punished his son instead. But God says to every one of us, you have the choice. If you are going to accept God's son, if you're going to accept God's word, what he has said about his son, if you're going to say, yes, his son has done it and I depend on God's word, you have the choice. He's not going to force it on you. It's not going to irresistibly fall on you. You have the choice to accept it or deny it. Johnny was speaking the other night about being healed of a disease. And even in this country, we have this thing called informed consent. The medication could be there. The medication could be good. The medication could be 100% effective. It's your choice. It is unethical and illegal for the doctor to administer that medication against your will, unless there's a lawyer and, and, a, and a court involved. Informed consent, it's your choice. And God gives you the choice with his son. He tells you that you deserve his wrath for your sin. He tells you that God, he has punished his son. His son has endured the wrath. His son has finished the work. His son has been raised from the dead. And he tells you that if you were to believe on his son, if you were to trust him, there would be no wrath anymore. You'd have life. But if you reject him, if you reject him, then the wrath remains. That's the word here, abides. The wrath is remaining above you. Ready to fall at any moment. And so the wrath is deserved. The wrath has been displaced. But we must, we must depend. We must trust God. We must take him at his word. We must trust his son. You know, the, uh, the story was told of a, of a man who, he and his friend, just in their 20s, they went off overseas to the war. And they were fighting in those days in a very severe battle. And uh, his friend, he jumped in the way of a grenade. And he took the blow. And he, he died. He, the grenade exploded and he died from the impact. And his friend was saved. Here was a judgment that was coming towards them. Somebody else stepped in the way and took it. And so he was saved. Well, this young man, he goes back home and he looks up his friend who died for him. He looks up his father and he drew a painting. He drew a painting of, of his friend, this father's son. And he brings the painting to his dad, this man's dad. And it's a painting of, of his son in the military. And this father, he had collected a lot of paintings. He had collected the works of Rembrandt, Picasso. He was a very famous uh, collector of all these different paintings. And uh, the day was coming when he was going to die. 
And so all the people, all the greedy family members are gathering, ready to get all the good paintings from this father. And he had put a stipulation in his will when it came to giving away the paintings. And so the auctioneer came, and he picked up this old amateur piece of art, a picture of the son, his son. And the auctioneer said, who will take the son? And all these people, they were very, um, they were interested in the works of Picasso and the works of Rembrandt and the valuable works. And they looked at this amateur painting and they were like, let's get on to the real things. And nobody, nobody wanted the son. Nobody wanted him. And so the, the bid went down. $1,000 went down to $100, went down to just $5. And one of the gardeners who was working in the, in the area, the story is told that he finally said, I'll take it for $5. Anyone else for the son? $5 for the son? Going once, going twice, sold. And then the auctioneer closed his book and he said, the auction's over. Thank you all for coming. And the people rebelled, and they started getting into a great, a great turmoil. What do you mean the auction's over? What about the works of Picasso? What about the works of Rembrandt? And the auctioneer said, there was a stipulation in the Father's will. And the stipulation was this. Whoever takes the son gets everything. And for $5, the gardener walked away with Picasso and Rembrandt. You know, there's people in this world that are looking for love. They're looking for joy. They're looking for purpose. They're looking for satisfaction. These are the works of Picasso and Rembrandt, and they're trying to find them outside the sun. Listen to me. You take the sun and go away. Who in this meeting, in this gospel meeting, who will take the sun? For he who believes on the sun 